0: Thank you for joining us today. On the call are Rowan Trollope, CEO, Dan Brooklyn, President, and Barry Zwarenstein, CFO. Certain statements made during the course of this conference call that are not historical facts, including those regarding the future financial performance of the company, industry trends, company initiatives, and other future events, are forward-looking statements within the meaning of the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Such statements are simply predictions, should not be unduly relied upon by investors. Actual events or results may differ materially, and the company undertakes no obligation to update the information in such statements. These statements are subject to substantial risks and uncertainties that could adversely affect Five Nines' future results and cause these forward-looking statements to be inaccurate, including the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic and the other risks discussed under the caption risk factors, and elsewhere in Five Nines' annual and quarterly reports filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission. In addition, management will make reference to non-GAAP financial measures during this call. A discussion of why we use non-GAAP financial measures and information regarding reconciliation of our GAAP versus non-GAAP results is currently available in our press release issued earlier this afternoon, as well as in the appendix of our investor deck and available in the Investor Relations section of Five Nines' website. Investors.59.com. And now, I'd like to turn the call over to Five9 CEO Rowan Trollo. Please go ahead.
1: Thanks, Lauren. And thanks to all of you for joining our call this afternoon. Our first quarter results exceeded our expectations across the boards and demonstrate the success we've had in pursuing our mission to help businesses transform their contact centers and reimagine customer experience. Our first quarter revenue was a record $138 million, accelerating to 45% year-over-year growth, an all-time record growth rate. The acceleration in revenue growth continues to be driven by our enterprise business, as demonstrated by LTM enterprise subscription revenue, which also grew 45% year-over-year. While we're having success in all of the parts of our business, Today, I'll focus my comments on the success we're having in the enterprise business. This success is best demonstrated by the fact that in the first quarter, we closed another two exceptionally large multi-year global deals. We anticipate that these two deals will generate over 14 million and 6 million in ARR, respectively. These two deals follow the fourth quarter $12 million ARR win with a leading European insurance company, Now, Dan will elaborate on these deals in a moment, but in the meantime, it's clear that something has changed. Why is it that Five9 is having such success in winning large global deals? In my opinion, there are three key drivers. One, market momentum. Two, Five9's product innovation, and three, our go-to-market machine, which I'll now discuss in turn. First, the market. The market's driven by two immutable trends. The premise to cloud transition And digital transformation. The strong demand is persisting at a similar rate as it did before the pandemic, as many businesses focus on customer experience and contact center refreshes. There's also an emerging demand for AI driven automation to increase efficiency in the contact center. The resulting savings are especially appealing to larger enterprises with the scale and resources to automate. Second is product innovation. Last quarter, I put a stake in the ground and said that after two years of focus and an increased investment, we'd reached a critical milestone in delivering a a hyperscale architecture. Every Five9 product is now redesigned to run in the public cloud in a container-based architecture, which takes advantage of public cloud storage, elastic scaling and multi-zone redundancy to name just a few. This modern platform has also enabled us to take the lead in providing exceptional digital-first experiences. With Five9, businesses can seamlessly transfer their end users from digital to live engagement while ensuring that the context isn't lost for the customer or the agent. The increased preference towards a digital-first experience is reflected in digital interactions on our platform, which increased 80% year-over-year year in the first quarter. The traction we have in digital is particularly important as we expand internationally especially in parts of the world where digital channels like WhatsApp are already the channel of choice. Now, we've further differentiated our product by building a leadership position in AI-powered automation with our IVA and agent assist offerings and with our workflow automation platform. We have many customers adopting these technologies. For example, a state government agency has recently gone live with 5. Nine IVA to answer FAQ style questions and are reducing their labor costs by automating 31% of the thousands of calls they receive every single day. Another example, this time using 5.9 Agent Assist is True Connect, which provides mobile and wireless services handling more than 62,000 calls a month across three contact centers globally. Now, True Connect uses our AI powered agent assist solution to assist human agents with real-time transcripts, call summaries, and coaching cards. Together, these technologies make their agents more efficient, resulting in savings of 7.5% of their labor costs in the first year and 20% in subsequent years. So whether it's AI powered automation or digital channel innovation, It's clear that our customers are confident in expanding their business with us, as demonstrated by our LTM retention rate, which accelerated once again to a record 121%, up 10 points year over year, and four points sequentially. Now, I'll remind you that the 121% is a blend of enterprise and commercial. So, the enterprise retention is higher, and within the enterprise, the larger clients, tend to have meaningfully higher retention rates. Finally, the third reason I believe we're making such strong progress up market is our increased investments in our go-to-market machine. Our strategic sales teams, which we created just over a year ago, have been partnering with our channels team to deliver these recent landmark deals. And we anticipate that the momentum will continue. We're also investing aggressively internationally with our EMEA and LATAM bookings increasing year-over-year by 3x and 2.5x, respectively. With our international momentum increasing, we're significantly increasing our international headcount, which is now double what it was a year ago, and we're stepping up our marketing initiatives by building thought leadership and driving localized campaigns in region. We've also doubled our partner resources internationally and have added key partners in EMEA, like CanCom and Connect. And, of course, All of our customers, domestic or international, big or small can count on Five9's PS and customer success managers to treat them with our widely recognized white glove service. This is a key differentiator for us and is demonstrated by metrics such as our strong NPS scores consistently in the 80s and occasionally even in the 90s and a big contributor to the strong and improving retention rates I mentioned earlier. So with that, I'd now like to turn it over to our president, Dan Berkland, to share some specific customer wins. But before doing so, I'd like to give a huge thanks to all our employees, many of whom are new to the 5-9. You have all executed incredibly well and have demonstrated your unwavering dedication to our mission. We've started this year off incredibly strong as a result of your contributions. So from the bottom of
2: my heart, thank you.
1: Dan, over to you.
2: Thank you, Rowan. As Rowan mentioned, we continue to execute upmarket with larger and more complex businesses globally. It is clear that the largest enterprises in the world are now embracing CCAS and Nine in particular. Our Q1 new logo bookings set an all-time record for any quarter, and our install base bookings set an all-time record for any Q1. Our pipeline continues to grow to an all-time high, and our ecosystem of partners once again influenced over two-thirds of our deals. And now I'd like to share a few key wins for the quarter. The first example is one of the world's largest parcel delivery services companies. They're moving their entire global contact center operations to the cloud with Five9 and have contracted with us for a five-year term. This transition from Cisco, Avaya, Genesis, all premise-based systems over to 5.9 is designed to allow them to greatly improve efficiency, consolidate to one common platform, and reimagine their customer experience through innovation and automation. This includes IVAs, WFO, and integrations to their ServiceNow, Salesforce, and their proprietary CRM solutions. They also recognize the trust that 5.9 has built in the market to deliver high-touch, around-the-clock customer service, along with dedicated technical resources to support them 24 by seven throughout all corners of the world. This global company is standardizing on our platform and has placed an initial order for an anticipated $14 million in ARR to Five9. The second example is a large systems integrator who recently spun off their IT infrastructure services business with over 90,000 employees to form a new company. They chose Five nine to replace their Cisco and Avaya solutions to provide them with the flexibility of the five nine platform so they could accommodate the unique requirements of each of the enterprises they serve. This customer plans to use our IVA not only for self- service but also for more advanced dynamic call routing. They will also be leveraging a complete omnichannel solution, our comprehensive WFO solution as well as integration to both ServiceNow and Salesforce CRMs. This will enable them to service clients from more than 20 contact center locations throughout the world. We anticipate this initial order to result in over $6 million in ARR to Five9. Our third example from the quarter is a major commercial airline based here in the United States. They chose Five9 in order to innovate and differentiate the customer experience and deliver self-service options to their passengers, crew, and partner communities. They were using a hosted Genesis solution, which did not give them the functionality, the real-time visibility, nor control over their contact center operations. Now with 5.9, they will have a full omni-channel solution, our WFO suite, including workforce management, QM, performance management, speech and text analytics, and integration to their custom CRM. Our advanced workflow automation solution will also provide them with SMS alerts to notify passengers of flight status, upgrade notifications, and other important changes. We anticipate this initial order to result in approximately 2.4 million in ARR to 5.9. And now, as I normally do, I'd like to share an example of an existing customer who's expanded their use of 5.9. This healthcare facility network with over 45 hospital campuses, over 80,000 employees, and serving over 5 million patients annually, has been a Five9 customer for over three years. During this time, they had accumulated several other hospital networks and were running on many disparate platforms. Five9 had already expanded to more than 50% of their contact center agents. It was now time to consolidate to a single provider to help them deliver an innovative and consistent patient experience while also improving efficiency by being on one system. They recently added over 750 seats to complete this consolidation and are anticipated to increase their spend from nearly $2 million to over $3 million in ARR to Five9. So as you can see, global enterprises of all sizes and complexities are recognizing that Five9 delivers the reliability, scale, innovation, and global support required for their contact center operations. It gives us great pride to be able to help our customers reimagine the experience they deliver to their clients and the mission-critical role that Five9 plays in this effort. With that, I'll hand it over to Barry to share our financials. Barry?
3: Thank you, Dan. First, a reminder that, unless otherwise indicated, all financial figures I will discuss are non-GAAP. Reconciliations to GAAP are posted in the Investor Relations section on our website. We had another very strong quarter with both top and bottom line results far exceeding our expectations. Our enterprise business continues to be the key driver of total revenue accelerating into the 40s for the first time as a public company. On an LTM basis, enterprise customers accounted for 83% of revenue and our success in enterprise was complemented by continued strong execution on the commercial side of our business which accounted for the other 17% of revenue and which grew more than 20% year over year. The split of our total revenue between recurring revenue and one-time professional services was 92% and 8% respectively. Turning now to the rest of our financials, first quarter adjusted gross margin was 64%, essentially flat year over year, despite increased investments in public cloud. First quarter adjusted EBITDA margin was 16.1%, up 120 basis points year over year. First quarter non-GAAP net income was $16.1 million, an increase of $5 million year over year. Non-GAAP EPS for the first quarter was 23 cents per diluted share, up 6 cents year over year. First quarter DSO was 32 days, and operating cash flow was $13.8 million. We have now maintained our LTM operating cash flow margin in the teens for 12 consecutive quarters, and we remain optimistic about our potential for continuing cash flow generation. I'd like to finish today's prepared remarks with a brief discussion of our expectations for the second quarter and full year 2021. In terms of top line, we are guiding Q2 revenue to a midpoint of $132 million, which represents a 4% sequential decline, closely following the guidance pattern that we have established over the last several years heading into Q2. However, I would like to point out that the implied year-over-year growth at the midpoint is 32%, which is the highest growth rate we have ever guided to in any quarter. For the full year, we are raising the midpoint of our revenue guidance from $520 million to $550 million, which represents an increase in the year-over-year growth rate from 20% to 26%. As for the bottom line, we are guiding Q2 non-GAAP net income to a midpoint of $9.6 million, which represents a $6.5 million quarter-over-quarter decrease driven by increased investments in R&D go-to-market, and public cloud. Despite these investments, we are raising the midpoint of our full-year guidance from $60.6 million to $66.7 million. Additionally, I would like to provide more color on the quarterly profile of both the top and the bottom line for the second half of 2021. For revenue, consistent with guidance in past years, we expect it to increase sequentially in the third quarter and more strongly in the fourth quarter. Given the shape of this revenue curve, we expect third quarter non-GAAP net income to improve to approximately $14 million and more significantly in the fourth quarter. Please refer to the presentation posted in our investor relations website for additional estimates, including share count, taxes, and capital expenditures. In conclusion, We are extremely pleased with our first quarter performance and by the evident strength of our business. Our demonstrated ability to execute like clockwork continues to drive further momentum upmarket, and we believe our increased investments in key strategic areas position us well for the future. We look forward to updating you on our progress as the year unfolds. Operator, please go ahead.
4: We have our first question from Mita Marshall with Morgan Stanley.
1: Great. Thanks, and congratulations on the quarter. Um, obviously, you guys are seeing a lot of traction in the market. Just trying to get a sense of what you're seeing around, you know, sales cycles shrinking or um or sales cycles kind of staying the same, I guess I'm just trying to get a sense of from some of the large deals that you've executed on last quarter and this quarter, you know, did any of those really kick up after COVID started?
2: Thanks. Yeah. Thank you, Mita. This is Dan. Uh, you know, the, the sales cycles in these large enterprises uh, remain what they've really yeah. always been. I think what we saw with COVID was perhaps some uh, acceleration into them getting to a process, and starting a process sooner than they may have otherwise. But the process itself still requires them to go through the full uh, due diligence and um, really vetting all the different options that they have. And with, you know, these types of deals in the large high end of the enterprises, these are typically global um, with rather complex, not only infrastructure changes and requirements, but uh, staffing on their part uh, as well as on our part. So uh, the sales cycles haven't changed, um, but I think there's been more of them. Uh, that have come to the to the surface.
1: Got it. Thanks. I mean, and just in terms of not a, the same question, but just does in, initial interest in AI capabilities elongate the sales cycle, or you know, what does that do to the sales cycle? It, the it can
2: I, I think a lot of folks, you know, the the not only five nine, but really as an industry, we're all stressing and, and really positioning uh, automation and how customers can innovate and really reimagine their customer experience. Uh, that they deliver. And I think that there's immediate interest in that. Um, I don't think it necessarily lengthens it. I think you just spend more time focusing on those innovations, some of the more traditional applications that, you know, they kind of take as table stakes. And uh, we spend more time certainly on the innovative um, opportunities that they have. Great. Thanks. Congrats.
4: Mm-hmm. Our next question is from DJ Hines with Ken Accord
1: hey guys uh congrats R- really incredible momentum at the at the high end here uh so two questions related to that so number one can you just like address services capacity I mean you alluded to white glove service being a differentiator like do you have what you need to get these big customers over the hump and then number two bro and I remember in the past you saying like hey we're gonna avoid this this mega mega business because you know these large customers can influence product roadmap and demand customization and all sorts of stuff that's just, that they're You know, gnarly to deal with. How do you avoid kind of falling into that trap? Yeah, the short answer on services is, yes, we do have what we need on that front. Um, And we continue to enable our partners. uh, And the path there very much is to enable those partners to deliver services. Um, But as we told you before, we're taking a crawl, walk, run. We we think that uh, that's the right approach here Um, on the larger and larger deals that we have been signing and sharing with you all. Um, you know, it's really about making sure that we have a great fit with those customers and with the capabilities that we've got in the portfolio and, and not uh, trying to sell stuff that we don't have and so forth. And that, that's, I think what we've been finding is that with the expanded portfolio, we've created a much better fit for some of these larger enterprises. Um, and, and clearly the AI, AI technologies that we've both organically built and acquired are uh, very strong, um, uh polls for some of those larger enterprises. They're really looking for that efficiency story. Uh and um and so yeah, I think I think it's a matter of making sure we have the right fit, but we don't really have a, a hard limit per se. It's it's just looking at the market and making sure that uh that we can serve the customers and, and we're we're finding essentially just more and more of these very large co- customers be a better fit with our portfolio. So we'll we'll keep doing that as long as the opportunity is there. Thanks. JJ. Congrats. Yeah. Thanks.
4: Thanks. Next question is with Ramo Lensho with Barclays.
5: Hey, congrats from me as well. Uh, quick question. I wanted to change over to the uh, the commercial side of the business. Uh, you talked about 20% plus growth. Then uh, uh, it's probably more for you now this time. That's a crazy good number. Uh, can you just talk a little <laughs> bit about that acceleration we've seen here? Uh, because I can't remember the last time that you know, a number was that big. Because uh, it's almost like – in addition to what's going on in the enterprise. Thank you.
2: Yeah, yeah, Raymo, I'm glad you brought that up because that's really been a, a you know, over the last several quarters and a couple of years, uh, it's returned to a growth engine for us. Um, it's still not growing at the rate of enterprise by any means, but uh, but the fact that it's you know gone to double digits and now. I
1: think Dan's uh, internet connections. Maybe you, I can. You can still hear me, guys. Yeah, yeah. So it has. Uh, I'll just pick up where Dan left off. We can finish each other's sentences at this point. The fact that it's kind of accelerated above 20% uh, and or into these double-digit range now is really uh, reflective of the strong market demand. But I think more importantly, because I think that demand has been there, I think it's actually about the team's execution. We have an incredible commercial team, um, and since we made that shift, what was it? Very like two years ago, I think. Um, when That's right. we, yeah. About That's two right. years ago, um, they have just taken off like a rocket ship and it's a different sales motion. Uh, we have new uh, you know, it's actually the leaders have grown, but we've actually hired quite a few new headcount into that team. They've they've proved uh, that we should go invest more in that in that category. Uh, so, yeah, just across the boards, that team has been uh, doing fantastically well. So hats off to our commercial uh, sales team. They've been they've been killing it.
5: Excellent, yeah. And then, um, um, Barry, one for you just on the gross margins. Obviously, we have the investments into uh, the public clouds at the moment. Can you just remind us, like, you know, what's the imp- impact there? What's the timing there a little bit to kind of, you know, because
3: I, I keep asking you about gross margins going higher. So, kind of at some point, I need to hold you to, to task. Here. Yes. Uh, thank you, Remo. And we would like to be held to task on those gross margins. We are as confident as one can be about things in business that we'll get to that 70% over the upcoming years. But in the meantime, we're making this very um, valued investment in the public cloud, as you referred to. Um, We were basically flat year over year, despite the increased investments. Um, That's partly because of a higher proportion of subscriptions, something that we've talked about for a long time, and also one of the three key drivers that will take us to those 70% margins. and yes, uh, for the full year, um, when we gave our Q4 results, Ramo, we said it would have about a two percent impact, and uh, we still are guiding to that uh, very strongly. Um, and I'll leave it at that. Lovely. thank you. Congrats. Thanks, Raymo.
4: Next question is from Drew Glaser with J.P. Morgan.
0: Hey, this is Drew on First Sterling. Congrats on the quarter. I was wondering if you could provide some color on the flow of customers coming from partners at this stage, specifically from Microsoft and Zoom.
1: Yeah, Dan, do you want to take that one?
2: Yeah. So, seeing tremendous traction. Um, if you think about our complementary solutions to to Microsoft, Zoom, and the whole UC uh, environment, it's uh, it's great to build deep integration so that customers can seamlessly move traffic between front office, back office, contact center, and so forth. And so uh, that's been a great, great uh set of partners for us. In particular, we talked about, uh you know, acceleration in doing deals both with Teams as well as with Zoom. And uh, those partnerships continue, and uh, we look forward to, to working with them for, uh you know, for a long time to come.
4: Great. Thank you. Yep. Our next question is from Scott Berg with Needham.
5: Hi, everyone, and uh, welcome back, Dan. Glad you got your Internet back up and running. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, I wanted to focus on the international side. You know, the last uh, three, four quarters in particular have been uh, super impressive there, uh, along with the overall results of the the company. But I guess it's kind of a two-part question. One, as you're getting deeper and deeper, especially maybe in EMEA, are those customers there buying any modules differently? And then the second part of that, which is an extension, is are those customers ready for some of the you know, AI and automation-based solutions that customers here are starting to buy, or are they in their typical behind uh, maybe the, the U.S. trends by a couple three years?
1: Thank you. Yeah, I'll take that one. Uh, I, you know, yes and yes, they are um, buying the AI solutions. That's clearly top of mind. And and the other thing that's that's I guess different, and we I think we commented on this somewhere, maybe in the script, but maybe not. Um, that our international customers are also, I would say, bigger adopters of digital channels than we had seen in the U.S. Uh, and that's that's definitely been a theme. And uh, so the investment that we made in our sort of digital first approach and all the, the stuff that we did on that last year really, really has been paying off. And there are parts, you know, with our um, inference acquisition, uh, who had uh, you know customers in various parts of the world. One of the things that we had seen there was, you know, some parts of the world where uh, I think South Africa is ex- as an example where phone is sort of just not really even a viable option because of the cost. So they're, they're almost entirely WhatsApp, uh, based support, uh, lines for their customers. So yeah, I think that's, that's one of the differences that's emerging in Europe, um, is a stronger adoption of digital channels and then clear, uh, interest and an in, in adoption of our AI technology. And, and we are just getting started internationally to be clear. Been going well, but we've got a lot more to do. Great, helpful. I will stick to the one questions. Yeah.
5: Congrats again. Great question. <laughs> Thanks, Scott.
4: Thanks, Scott. Our next question is from Samad Samana with Jeffries.
6: Great. Thanks for taking my questions. And, and I hope the airline that you switched out, uh, uses is the airline that I have to fly for work. So, uh, <laughs> but maybe, uh, to my question, when we, when we think about, uh, EMEA and, and the strength there, you know, could you call out which countries maybe you're doing the best and, and where Five, nine has the best partner coverage and, and maybe where the focus areas are within the region to rent partner capacity?
2: Yeah, so great question. This is Dan. Um, we established our, our European headquarters in London. So the UK is certainly the, the biggest market. And so that's where we started. And then we've expanded beyond that in th- really throughout the rest of Western Europe. Um, part of the the... The uh, challenge there is making sure that we have the right, not only infrastructure, but then the languages on the platform. So over the last several years, we've added the languages. We're, we've got personnel, you know, throughout Western Europe. We've got Germany, um, now France, um, the Netherlands, and the Nordics. And so, you know, sticking with some of the Western um, countries is key. Um, but we're finding our customers are taking us to, and our partners are taking us into many new areas. So um, if you look at the map itself, um, as Rowan mentioned in the, in the earlier remarks, uh, we've doubled the size of our uh, team uh, throughout Europe, and a big part of that is expanding well outside of the U.K. Uh, you know, our initial pod was in the U.K., but then we've had to really look at having local personnel not only to sell, but to support those customers uh, throughout Europe. So it's uh, it's something that we're seeing great momentum from, and um, we'll continue to add as the demand is there. And uh, as we talked about, they're they're certainly in the early innings of uh, cloud adoption, and I think our timing couldn't have been better.
6: Great, I'm going to break the rules and squeeze one in for Barry. But <laughs> hey, Barry, I know, I know as you do bigger and bigger deals, um, and you don't report Arpu, but just maybe, how, how does Arpu look as you get into larger customers? Are you seeing them attach? more of inference and virtual observer, so maybe melting higher units, that better pricing dynamics. Just how should we think about that ARPU seesaw as you get into these really mega deals that you talked about?
3: So great question, Samad. And the uh, pattern is pretty clear. Um, These bigger customers can afford to buy more. So they might well get a keener price on the base core virtual contact center VCC, but they've got those deep pockets to buy all the things that go with it not just WFO, but enhanced reporting, enhanced connectivity, uh, the AI features, um, et cetera. So um, uh, that's one of the reasons that we expect the output to increase and help us also, by the way, with our dollar-based retention rates going forward.
6: Great. Congrats on a tremendous start to the year. Thank you. Our next
4: question is from Terry Tillman with Truist.
6: Yeah. Good
1: afternoon. And I'll echo the congrats. A tremendous quarter. I I uh, I won't break the rules. I'll have a two part single question. So the first part of my two part question is just related to it ended up proving a uh, pretty smart to make the strategic sales team investments uh, a, a while back. H- how is that doing in terms of the productivity? Do you still have some dry powder there in terms of pro- productivity? And then the second part, I'll go ahead and throw it out there. It's for you, Barry. Keep you working here is, you know, we're talking fourteen million dollar deal. Um, you know, those are big deals. Those can really affect the revenue. Are are those ramp deals, or do will those roll out within you know call it the first twelve months or so? How, how do those shake out? Thank you.
2: Yeah, so I'll, I'll take the first part of that. Uh, and really, you're you're exactly right. Um, we looked at our sales organization, and as we started seeing the range of opportunities in our field organization, from you know whether it's fifty seats or you know, several thousand seats. Those sales motions are extremely different and we didn't want to just randomly based on geography have, you know, somebody working the deal that's a thousand seats that doesn't have the skill set. Uh, they take very different uh, approaches. So we actually not only added our strategic sales teams, which are just thriving right now uh, in these opportunities, but also we took the, the enterprise team and we looked down market and said, let's create a mid market team also. So our field organization is now segmented with mid-market, enterprise, and strategic um, so that we always have the highest odds of success. And therefore, and what it is translating into is productivity levels, like you said, because we've always got the right person with the right skill set um, approaching those transactions. You know, the mid-market is much more transactional. The high-end strategics are, you know, year-plus long sales cycles and require a whole team of folks. Um, so that's that's been the dynamic there. And yes, it results in more productivity. Um, and yeah, there's there's a long runway ahead of us when we talk about early innings and we talk about the percent of the TAM that's been penetrated and moved to the cloud. If you take the high end enterprise, it's far less. We're in the first inning. <laughs> you could say top of the first, maybe maybe middle of the first inning uh, when it comes to large enterprise. So there's tremendous opportunity and upside coming there. Uh, the, the second part of your question as far as ramping, naturally these larger companies take longer to plan and implement uh, and then roll out to scale. So those large, the main two large deals, the $6 million ARR and the $14 million ARR, those will be rolling out throughout the rest of this year and well into next year uh, before we realize that full revenue, um, revenue stream that would hit us. Barry, anything to add to that?
3: No, I think Dan, you handled it very well. I, I would say that the twelve million dollar deal isn't shabby either. It's just three months <laughs> earlier, um, and uh, you know we've uh, you've noticed, Terry. Um, by the way, congratulations on your excellent single but bifurcated question. Um, so um, we've we we increased our guidance uh, from traditionally before COVID we would go up nineteen percent. Now it's twenty six, and that's part of the driver. But as Dan says, and I really want to emphasize. Um, that is very much uh, towards the end of the year and much, much more in 2022. Thank you.
4: Our next question is from Jim Fish with Piper Sandler.
3: Hey, guys. Uh,
5: congrats on the quarter again. And Barry, I don't know if I've seen you smile this much, so, you know, congrats on that. Um, you know, just keep getting larger and larger deals. And a lot of the time we're hearing from from you, Dan, that it's not just move to the cloud, it's consolidation as well of, of the contact center. So I guess, can you kind of frame it for me in terms of the large customers left out there that Five9 doesn't have yet at this point? You know, how much would you say is both of these kind of dynamics versus one or the other? Is there one that is essentially more favorable in your view? Uh, and then to cheat here a little bit like everybody else. Uh, on the competitive side, What are you seeing from other cloud-based solutions out there with some of these larger deals? And as you move larger, how do you view the competitive nature, specifically more from an Amazon Connect or a Twilio Flex?
2: Yeah, so great questions. I think when you look at both of those factors are true, right? When you look at these large, large enterprises, a lot of them have gone through their own um, M&A activity and acquired other companies, and they have a hodgepodge of different systems That are kind of working as independent silos and very inefficient for companies that want to create a global, uh, consistent customer experience. It does make sense to consolidate. So certainly there's a, there's a whole group of those and they need to get off of the, the old premises based solutions anyway. That would be kind of the third element of that. So you've got premises based solutions. You've got, you know, many cases where they're disparate and operating as silos of technology. And then you've got the uh, requirement to innovate and really deliver a customer experience that's new and unique, um, so that they can stay ahead of their competitors. Um, but that, that phenomena is just getting started up market. So, um, when you look at large enterprises, um, this is, uh, there's a tremendous upside to what's, uh, what's out there. Um, that, that's the, the first, you know, portion is absolutely, um, the market is, is very large and the customers, uh, we're just getting started. When you say what's left, um, <laughs> it's uh, the vast majority and then some. So um, keep that in mind. Well, and the second part of your question, um, competitive
5: nature from oh the competitive um, yeah. from, uh, cloud and specifically what you're seeing as you move up upscale from yeah, yeah I
2: think one thing you know not only do the customers recognize and trust Five Nine and appreciate our focus, I mean if you're about well, this is what we do. This is our, uh, you know, 100% energies are placed into how we help enterprises deliver and reimagine the customer experience they deliver to their customers. And, you know, if you think about who else is serving those large enterprises, um, most of the organizations that attempt have many other focuses to their, to their businesses, right? And if you look at our key competitors, you know, if you just look at us versus, you know, Genesis is getting their cloud platform, um, you know, coming up market a little better than it had. It, it's new to the market. Uh, but they've got a huge install base of their old premises-based solutions. So uh, we continue to see if somebody wants a true, you know, um, mature and innovative platform, um, 5.9 is a very logical choice. And, again, they know that we can service and support them um unlike most of our competitors. The other is, if you look, you mentioned um, Twilio and some others, if you, Twilio and Amazon, if you look, they tend to play in a much more narrow niche, um, meaning that Twilio is, is in and around the contact center extensively. We have lots of customers that also have Twilio, but they don't really look to Twilio to be the full end-to-end replacement of their, you know, legacy Avaya, Genesis, Cisco, you know, aspect type environment. but but they tend to do more point point solutions that are highly custom and uh, more to developers, whereas we come in to replace the entire end-to-end. And then Amazon does well far up market where you want to put a platform in and then really either hire a firm or uh, have an extensive uh, R&D or IT organization that wants to take and build their own. Um, We've actually, I've mentioned on previous uh, calls, that, uh, we've seen several of those that get six or eight months into their process and realize they're not going to get to the, the vision they had for at least a couple years and, um, they can kind of hit the ground running with us. So, uh, so that's been beneficial as well.
5: Very helpful. Thanks guys.
2: Thanks, Tim.
4: Our next question is from Dan Bardas with Bank of America. Hey guys. Hi, Dan. Hi, Dan. Good to see you. Thanks for taking the question.
6: Um, you know, so definitely a lot of good trends to ask about potentially here. Um, maybe I'll ask about something that you didn't mention or, or maybe I missed it, uh, which is also
2: a positive though too is, and that's the AT and T opportunity. Um, just how meaningful was the AT and T relationship in the numbers in this quarter? I'm wondering if it's really moving the needle yet. And then, you know, how could that ramp look throughout the year? And just, you know, kind of bigger picture related to that, just how important are service provider relationships for you in general? You know, are, are these the kind of partnerships that you can do a lot more of in the future and, and you see becoming a, a bigger piece? Yeah. Of
1: your, your, I'll, I'll take that one. It's a great
2: question. But they're related at least. Thanks. Yeah.
1: We, um, yeah, AT&T is, is, is uh, beating our internal expectations. So it's doing well. Um, and, uh, in terms of materiality to the business, you know, we're not breaking that out specifically, but it's doing better than our plan. So, so on track and ramping, I would say the, more, the most important message there is it's ramping. Um, and, uh, really great support from, from the AT&T team. They're, they're terrific to partner with and, uh, they're very, very excited about Five9. So I think we should continue to see that expand and, and be more, uh, be more impactful to our revenue number in terms of the SP market in general. Absolutely. The answer is, yeah, I do think there are more and more opportunities, particularly, uh, international, in the international sort of world, Out- everywhere outside of the U.S., the SPs, and in various countries, they're more or less important, um, but they're, they're pretty much important everywhere. And, uh, one of the nice things about the inference acquisition is they did bring us some incremental SP opportunities. Um, and those SPs are looking now to move towards the public, or towards public cloud software companies like our, like ours. Uh, and that's, that wasn't always the case. You know, in, in the, in years past, they'd been looking to the, the legacy vendors to take their sort of prem software and reconfigure it for SPs. I think with AT&T being one of those examples of one who said, Hey, throw on the towel on that. That was not the right path for us. We're going all in with a cloud vendor. I think we're going to see that with more and more service providers. And, uh, so that is going to be, I believe an important channel for us over the long run.
2: Very helpful.
1: Thanks. Thanks,
4: Dan. Next question is from Mike Lattimore with Northland.
5: Great. Good afternoon. Uh, awesome quarter. Um, obviously, this sort of the CX theme is is pretty uh, impactful nowadays. I guess, um, are you seeing any opportunities sort of outside the traditional contact center? I think last quarter you talked a little bit about a healthcare use case, but yeah. are you finding that just the, the need for CX is broadening
2: a little bit here?
1: You know, it it we're definitely hearing that from customers and uh, we see that as an opportunity over the long run. It's not something that's particularly joining driving the business today, but, but it is uh, it's a topic of conversation amongst the industry analyst community. It's a topic of conversation amongst the UC crowd who obviously have that footprint, you know, beyond mm-hmm. just the contact center. Um, we've been working with one of our great partners, Zoom to, try to stitch those together in new and interesting ways. So, for example, uh, the call comes into the contact center, and let's say uh, we pull up this, the, the the customer record from the CRM system, and the contact center says, hey, look, you need to talk to, you know, Mary over there in accounting or in some other part of the organization who's not in the contact center technically, transferring that call through the UC system but keeping the CRM data with it. So that when Mary gets that call, it's sort of like a contact center experience, light, where it presents the CRM data and the case information or the ticketing information and so on. So we do think there are interesting opportunities, although um, they're still nascent. Um, With, you know, the last thing I'll say is, you know, the pandemic, I think, opened everyone's eyes to, and and frankly, may have even sort of accelerated a shift into this uh, question, which is like, what exactly is a contact center? Um, I, went, I drove through a drive through the other day where the the agent wasn't – the person talking to wasn't wearing a big headset sitting in the restaurant, but they were actually a video agent sitting at home. That's a contact center. So, you know, I think you're going to continue to see these shifts across many industries as we now come out of the pandemic, as they rethink what is the contact center really and what does it look like. And can we – you know, especially in a remote first world where more and more companies want to do that remote engagement – I think we're gonna actually see uh, a shift away from these, you know, uh a shift towards these sort of new and interesting uh expansions of what the contact center is and could be.
6: Thank
1: you. Yeah, thanks, Mike.
4: The next question is from Peter Levine with Evercore ISI. Great.
5: Thanks for having questions and congrats on a great quarter. So so maybe one on the inference acquisition you know, when thinking about automation and and virtual agents, right, like how important or how much of a priority today is
2: deploying virtual agents? And then maybe to piggyback off of the prior question on on pricing dynamics is, you know, how should we view the ARPU or or pricing for, for digital
5: agents going forward?
1: Yeah, it's increasingly important with our customers. So as we've mentioned now, you know, many of these large deals are including IVAs. And what's new, you know, what, What is essentially really different because IBAs have been around for some time. They were just extremely expensive and complex to set up and maintain. What's new now is we're making it available to many more, many more customers and we're seeing that demand. So it's a shift away from, Hey, you know, the traditional IVR and moving towards, towards the IBA from a, from a pricing perspective, you know, the way that we've um, taken that to market, it's a range. We're, we're looking in this somewhere four to $500 average. Uh, ARPU per digital agent, and so you know if we replace one human agent, which you know we would normally charge a couple hundred bucks for for a human seat, we're going to monetize that at you know roughly two x the rate uh, by selling the IVA uh, product, and and it is playing out the way we had uh, discussed with you all around the way customers are thinking about this is you know how can I cap how can I sort of Capture and resolve these incidents with ever, without ever letting them hit my human beings, uh, so that I can have less agents. And so there's a direct ROI trade-off math that they can do, which is why it's sort of emerged so strongly as in many of our larger deals who, who they have, you know, where these sig- savings can be very, very significant. Great.
4: Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, Peter. Our next question is from Steve Enders with KeyBank.
6: Hi, great. Thanks for uh, taking my question today. I just want to follow up a little bit on on the inference acquisition that uh, you made last quarter. Uh, I guess, a just kind of wondering what you're seeing and how that's ramping versus your your expectations and your ability to uh, to go sell that uh, into the base. And then, you know, secondarily, uh, with some of the other acquisitions you made, like Virtual Observer and Wendu, how those are ramping. Uh, And they call it a few WFO opportunities. Wondering how those are uh, scaling in there.
1: Yep. So inference, the start of your question, uh, it's been, I think, two quarters now. And, um, you know, the theory was that there was going to be really strong interest, uh, in, in our larger customers. And we've seen that, but we've actually seen it across the board. So we're seeing a tremendous pipe on that front and we're ahead of our plan. And we're ahead of plan essentially on all three acquisitions. Virtual observer has been, uh, you know, we've now had that in, in the portfolio for what's five, six quarters, somewhere in there. Um, doing phenomenally well. And, you know, this is not just Virtual Observer, by the way. We also, as as I think most folks know, we resell variant. So we've just seen an increased adoption rate of WFO overall, or workforce engagement management, whatever you want to call it. That category has grown for us overall. But Virtual Observer has absolutely led the growth. We've finished the first um, major set of integrations that we wanted to make. So when you buy virtual, uh, when you buy Five Nine now, it's a complete integrated suite. The user experience is is sort of tied in natively, so that was something that I think our customers were looking for, and and uh, so yeah, we've been really really thrilled with that. And then and then the last one was the workforce uh, automation or window acquisition, going really well, but coming from a much smaller base, and probably also the the um, in much, much smaller base. I mean, they essentially didn't have a run rate in terms of revenue. So that's not material to the business yet. But, uh, but it, it, we do see it as being increasingly critical in some of these larger deals where you always have this corner case or, you know, some, something that our product doesn't necessarily do out of the box. And so the fact that we have this low code, no code workflow product, uh, helps us close these larger deals. And so there's a factor also of enablement that comes from the workforce automation, uh, workflow automation uh, product where we're able to land more of these large deals uh, as a result of that technology. So across the boards, I would, I'm would i very pleased with how our acquisitions have been doing.
6: Great great to hear.
1: Thank you. Next
4: question is for Willpower with Baird.
5: And I echo my congratulations on a uh, you know, another strong quarter. I want to come back, uh, either for Rowan or Dan, whoever wants to take it to the large deals in the quarter. And I'm really just trying to understand what's really differentiating you versus some of the other large cloud vendors who invariably you're competing with. You know, I know it sounds like IBA is part of it, agent systems doing well, and a lot of that's getting incorporated, but you know, AI is a big focus for a lot of your competitors as well. So what's really helping you stand out in that field? And the second part of that is, what is it that gives them comfort with the product roadmap? Where where are you headed with those products that I'm
2: sure they're probably driving you towards or the particular things they're looking for that that you're going to have down the road here? Yeah, thanks, Will. I'll take that. If you look at those large deals, like you said, it's a combination. It really is the technology, um, and it's our approach to those technologies. Everyone is talking about AI, and everybody is talking about how to help the customers automate but when they dig deep and understand our architecture and where we've taken it and where it's going, uh, they feel much more comfortable that we're on the path that will fit what they want to do over the next several years. Um, and that combined with our approach, and Rowan alluded to it earlier, a big differentiator that, you know, he alluded to the white glove uh, approach of how we take care of our customers. Don't underestimate the power of technology is part of the equation. But what you can do to consult with the organization and bring that and extract the value from that technology is equally as important. Maybe in some cases even more important because I can have the greatest technology in the world, but if I can't, if I can't really utilize it effectively, uh, it doesn't help my business. It's not, it's not good. In fact, we replace a lot of systems out there that we look and go, gosh, they could have done this with their existing system, but they didn't have the organization and the focus, when I talk about focus, it's day two and beyond. It's our. There's a reason we have the highest scores uh, in our surveys on implementation. It's that professional services team that goes in and consults designs uh, in conjunction with the customer, configures, integrates, and does all the customization to meet their needs. There's a reason we come out of that with the highest scores in the industry by far. There's a reason our NPS scores are the, the highest in the industry uh, as well. And there's a reason, uh, you know, when we look on an ongoing basis uh, at the at the retention rates that we have that are unparalleled, that all stems from our ability to help our customers for the long haul really be able to recognize that, aha, I've not only got a technology, but I've got a partner here that's going to allow me to extract the most value from it. And that's getting recognized not only when we go into new sales, But they're talking to our other customers. And that's the, that's what our other customers as references are explaining. Hey, it's part of it's the technology. A big, big part of it is also, um, that five nine is going to help me and, uh, and get me to where I want to go.
1: And uh, I'll just add, Will, that our strategy was really simple. We, you know, Dan and his team felt like, you know, it was the moment, uh, for IVA to cross over and sort of hit that mainstream adoption. And, you know, in a shift like that, the strategy is simple. Go buy the best technology and buy the best team. And that's what we have. You know, we we think we bought the best technology and the best team. And, frankly, since they've come on board to Five they've just been knocking it out of the park. So it's going well. Thank you.
4: Our next question is from Michael Turin with Wells Fargo.
5: Hey there. Uh, thanks for making time. Nice start to the year for everyone here. Um, on the expansion rate, I recognize, Barry, this is a little bit of a different metric than the prior. But regardless, you broke through 120%. Um, and Rowan, it sounds like you're also commenting that's maybe better on enterprise or with larger customers. So I'm just wondering how you think about the potential range there and what's sustainable, especially as you're adding things like IBA and automation
3: to the platform. Um, thank Dylan, you. Can I take it? Yes, please, Barry. Yeah, so we're very excited about this. Um, you know, up four points sequentially, 10 points year over year. And as confident as people can be about things in business, over time, that's going to continue to go up for three reasons. Now, there's going to be fluctuations. These big customers come on at different times at different rates. The three reasons are, as Rowan talked about, um, we have uh, the million-dollar-plus customers are growing at a faster rate than the rest. And when he said they have a meaningfully higher rate, you should take that meaningfully, put it into white font, put it darkest green you can find with the highlight color, increase the font size to eighteen. Um, and that's that's really helping. And then finally, also as a tailwind, the the mixture from commercial to um enterprise because the commercial is much lower. And then finally the increased product portfolio that we talk, was talked about earlier is going to increase the output over time. But don't expect anything dramatic. It'll just be that slow and steady increase. So, well Well, slow and fluctuating increase.
5: That's clear. We'll try to put the highlighter on our note. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> our
4: next question is from Ryan McWilliams with Stevens. Thanks for squeezing me in. Uh, Rowan, a bank win last quarter and an airline win this quarter. Um, impressive since these are seemingly but nicely slower movers uh, to cloud contact center. So what do you think has changed for these industries that they're now adopting cloud solutions? And do you think we'll see a further pipeline of these customers moving to cloud? Thanks.
2: Yeah, I'll well throw that to Dan. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. We We are – going to see, and we are seeing, an increased pipeline uh, from these large enterprises. There's a few things we had to get across as an industry um, and crossover in order for enterprises to trust the cloud, right? We had to prove scale. We had to prove reliability. We had to prove, you know, security and protecting their data and their customers' data. uh, And then we had to make sure they weren't going to sacrifice any capability, so we had to basically emulate the feature functionality of all of the, the old premises-based systems. And then we had to give them an innovative platform. And that's really in the last year or so what we've been able to show them is, hey, you've got innovations here with with IDAs, with AI, with workflow, and so forth, that you just can't achieve uh, at the premises levels, um, you know, especially when you're building, when you have silos of these small efficiency centers. Um, so that, it's a combination of all those things. Now that we've proven all those, and they're able to see in the large enterprises, many of them have the, the mindset that they don't want to go first. <laughs> they want to see that others have. Well, now we've kind of checked that box and we can show them that, hey, you know, we've got customers now with many thousands of seats all over the world uh, being supported very effectively, and they're able to innovate like never before. And and that makes others say, well, if, if 5.9 can accomplish for them, what they're doing, then I know they can do that for me. And that's always comforting to not have to go first. And uh, so we should see more.
4: That's in the quarter. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you. Our next question is from Andrew King with Colliers. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my question. Um, So during the
5: quarter, we saw Microsoft actually acquire Nuance. Could you talk a little bit about the impacts
2: uh, to the competitive nature and then also uh, among the UCAS providers, they've always talked about this push into the EU and talked about how they've been um, behind
5: uh, the U.S. in cloud adoption. Can you talk about the adoption rates over there currently versus
1: the U.S.? Sure. I'll, I'll take the first part. The Nuance um, the Acquisition uh, you know, Nuance is powering a lot of the, uh, many of the IVAs, but as a technology supplier to companies like ours, so we actually partner with Nuance and sell that technology to some of our customers uh, or, or use that technology. Uh it plugs into our platform, for example. Um, you know, we made a bet three years ago uh, on the next generation of voice uh, uh, technologies based on sort of what we were seeing uh, around machine learning advances coming out of, Amazon and Google. So that's very much the direction for the company. However, as we uh, made the inference acquisition, one of the things that's uh, shifted in terms of the strategy is, you know, we've really become a platform that right on top of those underlying technologies. So, you know, whatever underlying technology you want to use from a speech to text or text to speech or natural language processing, we can plug those in together. So, you know, we can support Amazon, we can support Google, we support IBM, we can support Nuance. We have our own technology that's built in. And I think that's an important uh, statement is that where we're playing at the value stack is actually sort of one notch up from the underlying sort of speech vendors. Now, I think, you know, we don't know a lot about Microsoft's strategy beyond what they've said publicly. So anything would be pure speculation, but, you know, their, 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 their note or what we had read about their uh, sort of re- rationale for buying nuance was making progress in the healthcare space. And so we're not... 100% sure exactly where they're going with that. Um, but, uh, you know, again, we're playing at a different layer of the stack than, than a nuance, for example, plays. I don't know, Dan, there's yeah. a question about international. Yeah.
2: And then in relation to your question on EU, yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because, you know, we talked about a quarter ago, the large insurance company, uh, based in the UK, but operations throughout the EU. Um, very much interested in the innovation and really a behavior and a buying cycle that was very similar to what we see here in the U.S. Um, but for the most part, um, you know, when when companies are going to change out their contact center infrastructure and they're going to make a move, um, they're not going to they're not going to purchase a premises based solution. They're going to look to the cloud first. And so the opportunity is definitely there. Do they tend to lag a little bit behind the U.S. in decisions? Yeah, their deals tend to be, except for that one exception, they tend to be a little bit smaller in nature. But, uh, but they certainly are on the wave of, uh, catching this, the the same, the same drivers that are occurring here in the U.S. are certainly occurring throughout Europe.
1: An industry analyst that Looks at the European market recently shared with us that they thought that post COVID cloud acceleration was going to accelerate, uh, um, in the contact center space and their, their numbers, they had it going from 27 to 32. But fundamentally, I think, uh, I think those numbers are, are high, but nevertheless, I think that the general trend is an acceleration to adopting cloud. Great. Thanks for taking my questions and congrats on the good
5: quarter.
4: Thank you. And our last question is from Matt Van Bleet with BTIG.
5: Hey, hey, guys. Thanks for taking the question and a uh, great job on the quarter. Um, I guess kind of a, a two-part question, um, thinking about different areas of the market. But, um, Rowan, you mentioned, you know, some emerging uh markets, you know, tend to be very messaging-based. And, and if um, – Kind of what the rationale is why they would buy, you know, five nine, something that's very robust, very feature rich. If voice isn't uh, a huge portion of it, you know, can they get away with or are competitors trying to get in there at a, a cheaper price point? And then maybe conversely at the other end of the market, um, you mentioned the the case with video uh, being integrated, but are you seeing more customers wanting to at least offer uh, video
1: comp um, as part of an offering? Yeah, great, great couple of questions. So kind of hitting the bookends here on the, on the digital channels. One of our kind of core value adds here is that we make it really seamless to switch between your digital channels and your, your, and your live sort of, let's say analog channel voice. That's really important for a lot of these customers. In fact, what you see in many of them is they've traditionally had bifurcated workforces that are some people are doing messaging and some are doing phone and some do you know, email or what have you. And the trend is toward what we've been calling the multimodal contact center workforce, which is they're using all of those technologies, and they're using them all the time. And so this legacy in our space of vendors that kind of just went after digital, that's pretty much going by the wayside. You can't do that anymore. You need to have one platform that ties them all together. And I think that extends all the way into eventually into video, right? You're not going to want to say, well, we've got one answer for video and one for voice and one for WhatsApp and this other thing for our web. You want one platform that can handle all of that, and that very much is Five Nine. We have been selling video with, through partner-based uh, partner-based solutions and integrations with our platform. It's not a huge driver to be uh, by any stretch of the imagination in the contact center today. Uh, but you know, if my fast food experience uh, is any is is telling in any way, I think it's going to be a, an increasing part of the market going forward. I think we will see more and more video use cases in, emerge, especially in things like telemedicine, um, where Today, they're kind of like you know they've, they've gone to products like Zoom or Microsoft Teams. Uh, really, those are, are contact center use cases, and you need to be able to have that full contact center infrastructure underneath the cover. So, I think the future very much is an integrated end-to-end platform from video all the way to you know the lightest weight digital channels. That's what that's what your larger larger companies and and, and more mature companies are going to be interested in, in in acquiring for their environments. Keeps the complexity down. Mm-hmm. All right, great. Thank
4: you. Yeah. And I'll turn it back to Rowan for final comments. Thank you so much.
1: Well, thanks for joining our call today and for all the great questions. Really terrific. We couldn't be happier with our exceptionally strong results across all of the metrics, which reflects the strong and strengthening market and our clear progress, especially as we mentioned in the uh, prepared remarks with larger enterprises. So we're investing strongly as we pursue this mission. That we've been on to help our customers reimagine customer service and we feel extremely good about our prospects and to reiterate what I said at the beginning of the prepared remarks. Our progress is the result of the dedication and the hard customer focused work of our incredible employees and they deserve all the credit for the performance that you've seen from five nine. So thank you very much to all the five nine employees and thanks to all of you for joining today. We'll see you next quarter. Thank you.